This episode of the Big Head Chats podcast on the On The Pine Sports Network is brought to you by Mulcahy & Co. Marketing. For all your marketing needs, Gav and the team have you covered. They do it all, including making our website. Check it out at www.onthepinesports.com.au. They also build online stores using Shopify. Throughout COVID, more and more businesses need to go online and Gav can help you do that. Check out their latest store at www.wardrobebythec.com.au. If you need some help with your online presence, then get into contact with the team at www.mulkay.com.au slash marketing. Now I can actually provide a service for you through the podcast. So mention Big Head Chats while you're there and the guys will give you a free website report on your current website, which gives you an idea of how it is performing with SEO, page load and many other aspects. It also gives you recommendations for changes that can be made. So, uh, yeah, jump on it quick because I can finally give you something, listeners. But for now, let's jump into this week's episode. Let's go. We're from Tigerland. A fighting fury, we're from Tigerland. In any weather, you will see us with a grin. Risking head and skin. If we're behind, then never mind. We'll fight and fight and win. For we're from Tigerland. We never weaken till the final siren's gone. Like the tiger of old, we're strong and we're bold. For we're from Tiger, yellow and black. We're from Tigerland. Oh, it's a very happy edition, ladies and gentlemen, of the Big Ed Chats podcast. The Tigers are AFL premiers. I'm ecstatic, and I've got Maddie Nevitt in on the celebrations here. Maddie, thanks for joining me, mate. Final episode for you for the year. Um, and it's a very good one to be a part of, I'm sure. It's a pleasure to be here, Nashi. Congratulations. The third time in four years for the Tigers and must be very exciting for yourself. This is the second running of this podcast. We had a little <laughs> chat there in the first. Uh, and you're going to need a second go at watching the, the grand final, I think, because you didn't fully get to enjoy the celebrations on Saturday night. Is that right? Yeah, you are correct. So uh, we, ha- we had a rogue Ned walking in earlier just as we started. So we had to do the, do the restart. Um, and yeah, Saturday night, mate, I've, I've, been, I've had gastro all week. So Wednesday night, started to feel the pinch a bit. And um, yeah, that led into doing nothing Thursday, Friday, and most of Saturday. Um, but managed to watch the game and then into bed nice and early Saturday night. Um, and then fresh as a daisy on Sunday, which was nice. But... Yeah, had to watch Ned get up and leave after the game, go out and have a party and, and a drink with all the other Richmond supporters. So it um, wasn't ideal, mate, for a, for a premiership win. But, um, you know, hopefully we're back next year and I can make up for it. Now, now that it – I mean, you're feeling a bit better, which is good to see. Uh, and it would have sunk in, I, I would assume. How does it feel to be supporting a football club right now that has won three out of the last four premierships? They're clearly the best club, the best team in the competition. And – um, they're really showing no signs of stopping. What what does that feel like to be a supporter of a club that's so dominant right now in an era where you know the league really is actually so even? It's a it's a great question, and then I'll I'll answer it by telling you what I said on Saturday night when the sign went. I sort of stood up and said, "Like we are officially a dynasty. We've won three flags in four years," and I just never thought I'd say that sentence in my life growing up as a Richmond supporter. Um, so it, it is. It is surreal because you realize that you have, you were already, you know, we were a dominant club in the last three years, you'd say, but to win three and four, that is, that puts you in that sort of top echelon. So of teams. So it's a, um, it is a pretty surreal feeling, mate. And, and one that I never thought Richmond would achieve in my lifetime anyway. Um, 
So it's crazy, mate. It's crazy to be compared to those teams like Hawthorne, Brisbane and Geelong, who for years, you know, I was in envy of and in, in envy of their fans as well, who just expected greatness all the time. And we're, you know, we're a part of that group now. It's crazy. Yeah, I can only dream of what that would be like and hope for one day to experience something similar. I mean, it really is testimony to to Brendan, Brendan Gale and, and Peggy O'Neill who have done such a wonderful job of leading that football club. And Damien Hardwick deser- deserves credit as well for, the, for his ability to turn the playing list right around into the powerhouse that they've become. And, you know, they were really ambitious on Footy Classified. That, that's a, it's an interview that, you know, continues to get a lot of clicks right now because... Um, you know, Brendan Gale, he sat, sat on that panel and he answered it with real authority and um, confidence. And he took a risk and he, and he put his football club out there and he hung them out really, you know, in, in a vulnerable position. Um, but his bravery publicly, clearly they've been able to reward him by, by you know, everyone jumping on board. And um, whether that be the football players, the coaching staff, the, the club as a whole, the members, this, you know, the amount of members they've got is astonishing. It's been a real club effort. Um, and they've been able to turn their whole club right around. And it's, it's like I said, it's a testimony to those at the top. It is an unbelievable effort. And, the, and that, that interview in 2010, when I think back, we were terrible. There's just no nice way of saying it. We were terrible on field. Um, you know, by all accounts, we were terrible off it as well, in debt. Um, you know, just sign a new coach, you know, got a you know, new draft day in Dustin Martin, but there really wasn't much going on um, in terms of the on-field stuff. And then, you know, even fast forward to 2016 and Dimmer's going into his eighth year in 2017 and there's so many question marks on whether, you know, he's going to be around for much longer and, you know, can he coach and can this group achieve anything? Um, and, you know, the turnaround's been unbelievable. And now... We're chasing your demons of the fifties, really, and with the with the five premierships they won. Well, they went five and six years or something five like that. Five and six, yeah. something like that, and even I think Collingwood down back in the nineteen twenties is is another historic one that that we're chasing now as well. And um, you know, got we have age on our side, which is which is a positive, and you know, there's there's no reason really when you look at it where, why we shouldn't be challenging again. But obviously, the mental grind of of four years of you know prelim finals grand finals definitely takes its toll and you know wouldn't surprise me if there's a bit of a a few effects especially from 2020 with the hubs um but yeah amazing mate can't believe that who could believe that richmond the team that finished ninth every year Mm. is suddenly winning flags three out of four years it's crazy yeah it is full credit to them i congratulate their supporters They've, they've obviously done it the hard way and so many clubs do do it the hard way and um, I think, you know, all, I, all I'd say to you is a Richmond supporter is enjoy it while you're there because, as you well know, it's just as painful the other way when, when your size is languishing at the bottom of the ladder. So uh, enjoy it, it, every moment of it, Nashi. It, never, it, never la- it doesn't last forever, does it, mate, the, the success. Um, now, mate, the game itself was one that I, I think really provided um, everything we could have wanted, really, for a grand final. It had, you know, Geelong with a fast start, Dangerfield involved early, you know, Injuries, everything. It was, it was there was chaos really uh, in the game. How, how do you see it as a neutral well, fan? Well, it was a, a different sort of grand final, wasn't it? The build up just being so different. It was in Queensland. The, the the torrential rain they got throughout the afternoon. People were starting to question whether or not they might actually be throwing the ball up uh, at seven thirty. They do after some entertainment before the game, and 
Um, it, it's got a different feel about it. You know, I'll, I'll talk about how I thought the game felt. So, I, personally, you know, we'll, we'll save the, the, the night grand final discussion a little bit, little bit later on. Yeah. But, but the, the actual match itself, when it started, I mean, it was on, wasn't it? That, there hasn't been drama in the opening five or so minutes of a grand final like that for probably a long time. Um, and, and, and when that all unfolded, Boston getting knocked out two seconds later, Gary Ablett basically rules himself out of the match. I know he played for the remainder of the game, but he had little to no influence after that incident where he knocked his elbow, his shoulder. Um, it just had so much drama to start the game. And um, it really was a, a really entertaining match for a neutral fan, I think. And even though the scoreboard at the end reflects a really one-sided performance, it wasn't until three-quarter time that the game, you know, really got away from Geelong. Up until that point, it was game on. And there was even a period there halfway through the second quarter where it was really slipping away from Richmond. Um, it was so close. I think there was a... I can't remember who had a shot on goal. But if they had have capitalised and scored, it would have been a long, long way back for the Tigers at that point of the game. So I think as a neutral fan, it had a lot. It had... Um, it, it wasn't perfect, uh, and we'll talk about maybe why that wasn't the case. But, um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really entertaining affair. I think with grand finals and, and the entertainment value, you always have to go to a neutral fan because the fans involved in the game and the two teams that are playing are so invested. They just want to see perfection from their own team. They don't care how it looks as long as their side um, gets a result. So mm. I'm glad that it was entertaining for a neutral fan because, you know, I know obviously know the feeling of – watching a, a grand final and it, it not be the spectacle you want. Um, but you're right. And um, that's what I wanted to lead off with was <laughs> this grand final was in Geelong's hands in the second quarter. Um, and they had so many near misses in that second term that were gettable. There's probably four that I really felt um, were genuine chances for them. So um, that opening shot to Tom Hawkins, I mean, on his good night, he's probably kicking that. Um, Danger's first shot shot from outside 50. A tough one, but, you know, had the distance easy, so that's just an accuracy, accuracy thing. Um, that Grind Myers miss, and now everyone's been on Grind Myers for playing on and, and not going back for the set shot, but I think he had so much space around him, no pressure whatsoever. Um, and with his kicking style, I think he likes to be on on the run and, and in space anyway. So I don't blame him for playing on just a, a missed kick, didn't kick the goal, but it could have easily put it in. And then Zach Tui straight after. So, I mean, Geelong kicked two of those and it's, it puts Richmond in a really tough spot. That's, that's 30 plus points. Yeah. It's a long way back in a grand final. A little bit later in the game, Hawkins played on a couple of times and tried to kick around his body as well. Again, it, it's easy to sit back in hindsight and say it's the wrong decision, like you, what you're suggesting with the, with the Myers thing. You know, we're all the greatest judge of all time afterwards, but you just sometimes in a grand final will like to see your, your players go back and slot them. Like, if there's any number of opportunities, and that's, that's what the great thing is about a grand final. There's moments that define the game, and um, you look back and say, well, if it went one way, then it might have changed the outcome of the match. And clearly there were a number of opportunities for Geelong to either stamp themselves... Um, further further ahead or, or reclaim the lead at different points as well. Um, they'll, they'll rue those missed opportunities because it's so hard to get back to the top of the mountain um, and you don't always get there. Um, so for a guy like Ryan Myers, who's still only a young player in the league, he's going to have to live with you know that missed opportunity for, for a long time. So they, were, they led by 22 points late in the second quarter and the 
and dominating the game. Like it seemed like they should be up by more than 22 points because of those near misses, as as we explained. Um, and then the then Dusty kicked in. That goal he kicked against Collar Jasney off the pack, basically pushing him off with one hand, dropping the ball with the other, trying to control it onto his boot, snapping it over his shoulder. That is such a hard kick. That's a hard enough kick under that kind of pressure when you have control of the ball and he's able to do it with one hand and a crappy ball drop. And that really gave Richmond hope after that and, you know, Took the game to 15 points and you felt that if Richmond could get the first one after half time, um, you know, it was probably theirs to win from there on. Did you f- get that feeling after Dusty's goal? Oh, no doubt. The, the momentum that they, the, the Tigers built so quickly. And that's what they do, Richmond. They're the best momentum side in the competition. They're the best at stalling it when the opposition has it. And then they're the best at getting on a roll. And we saw that in the last quarter. It was just like a steam train. Running, running right over the top of Geelong. And that's what they do. They take those half opportunities, um, whether it be Martin or whether it be Prestia or whether it be, you know, any number of players, they're so good at just gobbling up those little half chances. And, you know, that's what we spoke about with Geelong missing. Um, and it really was the difference between the two sides. Um, and, and, and momentum, you know, it's such a hard thing to measure. But it is real in sport. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and they got on a roll, I think, I don't know what the run of goals was. Was it 10 goals to one or something to, to finish the game or something like that? You know, that's an astonishing um, way to, to just to stamp your mark on a game um, and win you, win you the premiership. It, it was a really authoritarian victory from the Tigers once they got going. That, that first half, how, and especially the second quarter, how Richmond-like was it? Um, watching, and how out of position did they, did they seem... That was the one thing that got me was Geelong just seemed to be able to get the ball to the outside and just have numbers and the ability to spread and, and really use their pace. Um, it was weird, wasn't it? Watching you know, Richmond really seem on the, out of place uh, in grand final where you know, that's usually where they've been the most dominant in the last three years. Yeah, and that's you know, what the great sides do is when they are down and they are not playing their best football and things aren't working, their systems have fallen apart. The really good sides, which Richmond are and what they're able to do is they were able to actually regather themselves, come together as a group. Uh, Jack Orivolt's spoken about how he spoke to the rest of the forward line and got them to structure up better after halftime. You know, only the good sides can do that in, in a position like Richmond were in the grand final with so much on the line to be able to compose themselves, make the changes that they needed to, to stop Geelong's run and to get the footy out of Geelong's hands. Um, again, like I said, it, only the very best sides are able to do that in such big games. And then, so we talked about Geelong's missed opportunities in, in that second quarter. You compare that to Richmond's run in the third term. So Richmond kicked four goals, two to one, three. So it goes Jack Rirock goal, Castagna goal, Lambert goal. So three on the trot, bang, straight away. Um, and, and then Dusty gets his goal later on as well um, with that point. And then that Shane Edwards point as well in the third term, that could have easily been a goal as well. So Richmond just t- took their opportunities um, and Geelong just weren't able to, able to take theirs, you know, one, three again in that third term. So, um, you know, the Cats defense could only really hold up for so long because um, they are a really good defense. And I remember saying to Ned during the game, they're really good, but if we keep the pressure up, um, 
they're eventually going to break. They broke in last year's prelim, the exact same deal. You can hold up for a certain amount of time, but eventually that damn all is going to break if you pump it in there enough, which is exactly what happened in that third term. You're right. I mean, Geelong's defense was exceptional. Tom Stewart was outstanding all night. I thought Henderson was actually really, really good. Um, I thought he was actually excellent. And Harry really Taylor good. really shut down Tom Lynch as well. Taylor as well. Lynch, you know, had a stinker really. Um, but I think that was more, you know, the, the result of Richmond getting on top was more a reflection of the, the battle that they ended up winning in the midfield. Um, you know, Geelong's defense, like you said, could only hold the fort for so long. But when the ball started to get pumped in there relentlessly after half time. Um, those quick entries, you know, it doesn't matter how good your defence are. If the ball goes in quickly, um, you know, repeated on repeat efforts, you are going to hit the scoreboard eventually. And then if you get those half opportunities around the half forward line, which they did, um, you then can capitalise on the scoreboard. So it really wasn't had any, it didn't have anything to do with Geelong's defence falling apart as such. It was more their team defence and their midfield mm. not being able to win the footy enough in the middle of the ground that let them down in the second half. Yeah, when, so when Richmond started getting on top, so we, we talked about Dangerfield last week, where do you play him? So the thing I noticed was in that first term, Richmond kicks the opening two goals. Um, you know, crowds involved, momentum is with Richmond 100%. Um, and Dangerfield had started forward. And then that next centre bounce after that came to McIntosh goal, Dangerfield's in the guts. And then the game switched after that. Geelong started to get on top. And then Danger was then able to go forward and become that threat. And kick a goal as well so and then in that third and fourth quarter or the third quarter it was David King made a good point so Dangerfield hasn't sighted the ball in the forward line for the first seven eight minutes then he goes off and then he's on again so um I was a Kane Corns yeah Kane Corns mentioned it so I think Chris Scott is gonna look back and not be happy with his management of Dangerfield because as soon as he put him in the midfield when Richmond on top Geelong were back on top again because Dangerfield's that good in the middle. So I'm wondering why he went away from that in the second half. Did you notice that? Well, we spoke about this a week ago in terms of where we thought Dangerfield would be used. And I said, it's a grand final. The game will be won and lost in the midfield, which it was. And Dangerfield did not spend anywhere near enough time in the middle of the ground. He did not have really much of an influence on the game whatsoever. He didn't take his chance in front of goal. Um, He didn't impact the contest up forward like they would have hoped. And, now, whether that was his fault or the team's fault or the coaching staff's fault, I don't know. But when you've got a player of that calibre and the game's on the line, you have to have him in the middle of the ground. You watch that Joel Selwood was enormous on, on Saturday night. He was doing a mountain of work. If, if he had have had a friend in there in Dangerfield helping him out, it could have been a different story. I've, I've got no doubt about that. That Their usage of Patrick Dangerfield you know, was so detrimental to the sides, uh, you know, the result of, of the match at the end of the game. My whole thing was it, it worked in the first half and it worked because they, they did exactly what we've been talking about where starting forward, that's fine. Have your system. If, the, if Richmond gets on top, put him in the midfield, you know, get the game back on your terms. It worked. Third quarter, the exact same thing starts to happen. Richmond get on top, first couple of goals. And then we don't see Dangerfield in the middle yet. Just get him in there because you, you've got the game by the scruff of the neck in that first half. Don't let it slip out of your hands in the start of the third quarter by not putting him in the midfield. You just, Scott just seemed, I don't know if it's Chris, you know, I don't know whose choice it is, whether it's Dangerfield on field or if Scott makes a call from the, from the coach's box, but they just went away from what was working. And you compare that to Richmond, they never go away from what's working. 
but but also, I mean, it's worth considering the fact that you know, well, the conditions on Saturday night were really quite slippery, and there mm. wasn't any key forward that had a, a major influence on the game. And when Dangerfield plays forward, he essentially plays as a key forward, as either a full forward or a centre-half forward. He is the vocal point of the forward line when he's inside 50. Um, and, and there was never going to be the conditions, you know, suiting a key forward on, on Saturday night. So he was wasted in that role because, he, he, the, you know, the influence that he can have on a match was completely nullified by the role that he was playing. Exactly. And the, the conditions were made for him in the midfield, really. really? 100%. Um, in and under. Because even though... Cause it, it seemed like it poured rain all day and then it rained in the early stages. And it, I don't think it rained afterwards. And from all accounts, like Alistair Lynch speaks a lot about how well the Gabba drains, but it was still really hard conditions late in the game, even though it hadn't rained in a while. But so the, it was made for Dangerfield and Selwood. Um, yeah. And I think, I think if he goes in that midfield in the, in the third quarter and sort of steadies the ship a little bit, it could be a different story. I, I think Richmond probably still have run them eventually, but... Um, they're going to rue that. Uh, it's going to be one to look back on. But it's another, it's another interesting point because if Jeremy Cameron comes in next year, you don't have to worry about putting Danger forward anymore. You can just keep him in the middle full time um, and let Cameron and, and Dangerfield stay up forward. So that's exciting for Cats fans. I think, I think there is a time and a place to use him up forward. Like I, I think he is actually a really valuable contributor in the forward line. Um, I just think sometimes they go a little bit far in that one direction, you know, he is still a midfielder at the end of the day. Um, his best football gets played in the middle of the ground. He can win you a game up forward. I'm not, I'm not denying that by any means, but you still have to adjudicate the conditions, the scenario of the match, um, you know, where the game's going to be won and lost and where he's going to be most valuable. It's, it's, he's almost, it's, it's a good time to use him in the home and away season, you know, up forward and spend a lot more minutes there because you can essentially rest him while he's in the forward line as well. That's a way of resting him and still getting something out of him. But in a grand final, you want to be getting 100%. You want to be absolutely squeezing the lemon as much as you can. Um, and they weren't, you know, they weren't able to do that with, with their star man on Saturday night. Yeah, so, cause we, so we saw him in the semi-final win over Collingwood, basically when the, they were going to win no matter what, but, you know, kicks four goals and, and dominates up forward. So, um, there's no issue with him being there, but the management needs to be better and they need to channel the dusty management where, you know, it's almost game sense and just how the game is tracking because you know on field how how the team's going. You know, it can be such a different story than what the scoreboard says. So um, I think leave it up to danger and, you know, trust that he'll go forward when required and let him battle away in the midfield uh, for the most part. Um so we'll go to Dusty. We'll talk about Dusty now the, on the other end. So how good was that second half? I think everyone just became in awe of what was going on uh, with some of those goals. He was outstanding. But, but don't, don't discount the influence that he had on the game in the first half as well. I, I sat there at halftime and I sort of thought to myself, who had been the best player on the ground and who was having the most influence? And at that point, Geelong were on top. And you're naturally thinking the likes of Tom Stewart, Joel Selwood, Mitch Duncan, Sam Minagola. But I kept thinking to myself, out of all the players, you know, Richmond on their, on their list, on their team, Martin has had the most influence on the game so far still. Every time he's touched the footy, every time he's used it, he's used it well, he's put them in the dangerous positions. It just, it just happened, so happened to be that in the second half, it exploded for him, that he hit the scoreboard um, and that he was everywhere. The Tigers got on top. But, but he was brilliant right throughout the match. Um, it was one of the best 
finals performances, grand finals performances that I've ever seen. Um, and he, he just, he stamped his mark as, as possibly the greatest player ever, you know, in a final series. I don't think he's the best player ever, but when it comes to playing big games, I don't think there's anyone in the competition that I've probably ever seen that you would want more on your team than Dustin Martin in a big match. He, he just, he, he frightens the opposition. He bobs up in the right spots. He reads the game better than anyone. Um, and he is just a superstar. That, that, that last goal he kicked. So Stanley drops that mark, goes to handball to danger. And then Dusty just tracks Stanley and then knows he's going to handball to danger and then just jumps in the middle and steals it. Like you could see what he was doing and what he was thinking the whole time, but he's able to execute it, which is, you know, obviously the hardest part. But you are right. When he kicked that first goal in that second quarter, um, you know, I sort of thought, He's had enough here that um, he's had a good first half, solid. And if we can just get him some more opportunity up forward, he could really blow it open because, you know, he, ta- he kicks that goal against College Asney and you sort of think, get him some more open looks at it and he's going to really hurt them. So um, that's exactly what happened in, in the second half and he was able to really be damaging. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Not quite best player ever, but, you know, I was in awe of Luke Hodge in that three-peat um, with the Hawks and, and winning two Norm Smiths. Could have easily won a third himself, actually. But Darcy's on another level. Um, do you agree with that? Oh, certainly. I think, you know, Hodgie very similar in the sense that he rises to the occasion and, and can find another gear in the big games. I think Martin... I think Martin's best is better than Hodges, and that's why he probably goes to another level than Luke. Um, you know, they do a similar thing throughout the year in terms of doing enough, um, playing well, you know, nearly every week. Um, but then when the game is on the line in those big matches, they, they just find another gear. And, and I, I, I don't say this light, lightheartedly. I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty honest about this. I think if, if Dustin Martin went down, you know, with injury towards the end of any of the premiership years in, in the home and away season, all throughout the final series, and he was to miss the final series... I don't think Richmond would have won any of their premierships. I think he's the one player in that side that they couldn't afford to go through the final series without. Do you agree with me? And I, you know, I'm interested to know your thoughts as a Richmond supporter. But, but I think you know, and this might be overly, um, I, I don't know how this could be seen, but I think you know they could have lost anyone else in the side and still won the premiership in any year except for Martin. So I. Definitely the the first and the third. I would. I think the Giants one. Will Richmond were going to win that no matter what. The Giants were on. Every player was on one leg, and they were a shadow. What about the final series? Would they would they have got through the entire final series without him? Ah. Uh, they were down by twenty points to Geelong at half yeah, time. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I still think you get through the final series. Um, without him, despite how good he was. Um, I definitely twenty seventeen grand final. Against Adelaide, it was and and this grand final on Saturday, they were both games where it, it took Dusty to to take over to really get Richmond over the line uh, in the second half of both games. So they're the two where if you don't have Dusty Martin, I'm pretty sure Richmond are going to struggle despite their despite their system. So it's a crazy thought because what Richmond's made famous is their system and how you know. One player out, one player in, plays a role, knows how to do it. Everyone's on the same page. But Dusty's that, you know, X factor where if you do lose him, the, the system might fail. 
because he is that good and come a final series. The opposition knows it as well. Like when they're running out there, it's in their mind that they know they're playing against Richmond who have Dustin Martin. And I, I think if they were running out there against Richmond without Dustin Martin, it would instill them with even more confidence because they know how dangerous he is. They know what he's capable of doing and, um, you know, what impact he can have on a game, especially on the big stage. You know, his influence on a game, it's as great as anyone, you know, probably that, that, that there has been. You know, the impact that he can have on, on, on a single team in, a, in one match is just extraordinary. If you, were, if you were Geelong, should you have gone with a hard tag everywhere he goes? Because pre-game, I thought, why wouldn't you just go a hard tag and just take him out of it? If you then lose from there, that's fine. But don't lose because of the guy that's won two Norm Smiths already. That was, I just thought, why wouldn't you not just hard tag, just completely take out two blokes from the game? So, you know, one from each team and then just 21 on 21 and hope for the best from there. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. It really is. It, and I, I think the, the answer is obvious. I think you certainly would run with him all game. I'd be staggered. If Richmond played another grand final in the next couple of years, be absolutely staggered if he doesn't get a hard tag in a grand final. I think you have to. I, I, I said it pre-game. I just, I just would have... I said blitz arms. I said just put blitz arms on him everywhere he goes because he can, he can defend. He can play around the midfield if need be. Just hard tag. Completely yeah. nullify. I think I think I'm I'm pretty confident that in nearly every final now that he plays, he'll, he'll have someone uh, just tapping him on the shoulder and reminding him that he's there. And and it, certainly, if he plays in another grand final, uh, he won't get the luxury to run around like he has in the past couple of seasons. There's no way in the world you're going to let Dustin Martin uh, get away without a tag. I think in a future grand final. But hindsight's a wonderful thing. And no, it is. You know, every coach probably goes into these matches thinking that they can back their system and back their structure to be able to, I guess, win the game without having to, to take away from their own structures and game plan to have to spend extra time on one player. But clearly he's in a league of his own and deserves that extra attention. Because if you, if you look through, they, they analysed his four goals on Fox footy and it wasn't even terrible defence by Geelong. And it was only a metre, it was only a small gap here or there, which happens in games because, you know, it's really easy to lose that sort of concentration for one, two seconds. But that's all it took. And he made them pay in, in the in the biggest way. So, mm. if you know, that's from one of the best defences in the league in Geelong. So if that's the case, then I'm, I'm hard tagging. Uh, at any, any, any time, any final next year or in the coming years, you have to hard tag uh, or try to at least, uh, I think. Um, if you look down there, so we go to the other end, the bottom six. So the battle of the bottom six is one that we've discussed a lot in the last few weeks and one that Richmond clearly won. So, you know, Gary Rowan and Brendan Parfit were, were nowhere really. Um, O'Connor and Buse didn't have heaps. Henderson played a good role, um, you know, but didn't set the world on fire. Neither did Collar Jasney. Um, how do you see that, that battle? Because it seemed Richmond's bottom six were just a bit more impactful with their touches than, than Geelong's. Yeah, I, I totally agree with it. I mean, we did speak about this last week and you outlined the fact that their bottom six is usually so strong and, and they certainly were again on Saturday, not particularly in the second half. They all lifted as a group um, and, and the Geelong bottom six really were nowhere to be seen after halftime. So yeah, 100%, um, that, that, you know, 
across the board, Richmond had far more contributors than what Geelong did. There was too much left up to, to too few. Um, now, at the end of the game, Maddie. so, um, the, you know, the AFL world said goodbye to Gary Ablett, um, Jr. One of the, you know, in my eyes, you know, he's the, he's the best player I've ever seen play. I never saw any of the other players that are in this sort of category play before. Um, but so he's clearly my greatest of all time. Um, what do you make of the of the send off for Gary? Yeah, it was oh, obviously very strange. It's not often uh, one of the greatest players of all time gets bitted farewell in a grand, grand final that they've lost, and you know they they clearly haven't performed to the level that they would have liked because of um, their body not not allowing it. Um, but you know, it was I thought it was very fitting that he was recognised post game by by Joel Selwood first, then by Trent Cochin, and then by the Tigers who were able to you know, pause their celebrations and pay him the ultimate respect by giving him the guard of honour. And um, it was a sad moment because, you know, he really has been one of the greatest players of all time. And he probably is the greatest player that I've seen in my 25 years on this planet. And um, there's the the category or the the wording in in being inducted into as, uh, as a legend in the AFL Hall of Fame is that you've got to change the game in some way. That's the, that's the criteria that you've got to fit. And no doubt, Ablett changed the way the game was played in that he was the, he was the modern day mass possession accumulator. And he used to get 35, 40 touches every single week, um, kick goals from the middle of the ground. Um, and, and, and he played in a way that I guess a lot of other midfielders over the next five, six, seven years tried to emulate. Um, so he'll go down as one of the greats and, He's a remarkable player, a remarkable figure in Geelong's history. Obviously got the, the, the family um, ties as well, which make it so much more significant and symbolic. And yeah, I thought it was, it was fitting that they were able to pay him his respects at the end of the game. I think it's the, the whole situation and what happened is one we'll look back on in 20 years and realise the enormity of it that, you know, um, he, he was that good and such a figure in the AFL that, Grand final celebrations were put on hold. Medals were tucked into jumpers. It was for this sort of minute to two minutes, we're just going to say thanks to, you know, a player for what he did on the field. And, you know, you only got to go look back at the, I think the AFL had the Gary's best 29 moments on field. Went for about 20 minutes of video. And I sat down and watched all of them. And some of his, when he was going at his absolute peak, he is one of he is amazing. It, that's the only word I can describe it with. And I think you tweeted about it. You know, him and is it Lance Franklin were the two players you go and watch as a neutral fan um, purely to watch them play. Yeah, it, it's they're amazing, amazing highlights, and some that I don't think can be matched. He's the only player. I, I mean, this he's the only player that ever could have won a Brownlow medal at the Gold Coast Suns. <laughs> that, you know, in that period of time, there is no other player. You know, now or, or, or gone that could have possibly won a Brownlow medal at that football club. Um, and he was actually in contention to win the Brownlow, I think, three years in a row. One year he might have been favourite and got rolled and he polled well every single year, even in their first two years when they barely won a game of footy, he was still polling two votes a game, um, which is just incredible. You know, they would lose by 100 points and he, he would get two votes um, and probably should have got three. He wouldn't get three a lot of the time because they'd actually lost. Um, it was remarkable football. And like I said, I, I tweeted, um, sorry, like you said, uh, how I tweeted, there's only two players that I'd gone to the footy to actually watch them. And, 
You know, I remember going to watch games where the Suns would play in Melbourne and I'd go to watch Ablett or I'd go to Geelong. And, you know, the only player you're really interested in watching is Gary and the, yep. how the crowd reacts when he gets the ball. And, you know, that's, it's very similar to when I go and watch Franklin, especially at the MCG. I, I get so mesmerized in the way that they go about their business on the football field. And, you know, when, when we do lose Buddy as well in the next couple of years, it'll be, it'll be a sad, sad thing because they're two footballers that have had a, an enormous impact on the game. And that, that Brownlow that he almost won when he, when he hurt his shoulder. Um, so I, I can't remember exactly, but off the top of my head, I think he hurt himself in about round 13. He ended up being on about 20 Brownlow votes at that point. And there was the genuine conversation of, has he got enough votes? Because he, he may still win it, um, even with it. nine rounds to go. And he was, he was in the lead for quite a while in that count, if I can remember rightly. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was only a couple of rounds to go before he got pipped, I think, if I, if I remember rightly. So that's, you know, you're right, extraordinary. That, that is ridiculous. That he had it up halfway through the year. I, I, I was just the, getting that through my head, it just doesn't quite work. I'm amazed that that can, that can happen. And, and even, so the award, that, the award that I put in the highest category is the AFLPA MVP because I think, any award where you voted by your peers as the best player is one that you should, is one that's really, you know, a feather in your cap because, you know, to be, you know, respected by your peers that much is, is great. And he, he just seemed to win them every year. There was a period there where it was just Gary Abler Jr. And then whoever wins the Brownlow stole it from Gary, in my opinion. So um, an amazing career and, and yeah, one that we'll never forget. And hopefully we, we see a bit more of him uh, in the coming years in some sort of role off-field, um, more than we saw Gary Ablett Senior when he retired. So, fingers crossed for that. Um, now, Maddie, for the, for both teams, what do you – we'll start with Geelong. What do you see that Geelong need the most um, apart from, you know, a Jeremy Cameron? Or is it more of, you know, come back and, and do it all again? Well, they're going to get Cameron, aren't they, by the looks of it? He's only interested in going to one football club. And when that's the case – more often than not, nearly all the time, that football club gets the man they want. Uh, he'll, and he, he'll end up there, Cameron. And he'll add an enormous amount to that side. He didn't have a great season this year. He's going to need to find his best football and improve because, you know, the footy that he played this year probably won't really help Geelong that much. He, he was pretty ordinary <laughs> at times, Cameron. But I think he'll be able to recapture that um, because he'll, he'll get a fresh start. He'll be playing footy at the venue that he wants to. Um, and I think he'll be a really nice fit inside 50 at Kidinia Park with Tom Hawkins. So, um, that, that's going to make them a better side, no doubt about that. I mean, Ablett goes out of that team and whether or not Taylor plays on, who knows. But um, I, I think all in all, they're going to be in contention again. I, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't be. Um, but so, so will other sides, you know, they'll be nipping at their heels. So I don't know, maybe they get a bit creative at, at the trade table. They're going to lose uh, Nakai Cockatoo to Brisbane. Um, do they get creative and maybe offload one of their sort of BC graders. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not too sure. Uh, I think from all accounts, Sean Higgins is a lock. So they're going to get Sean Sorry, Higgins, Higgins yeah, as well. Higgins. Yeah. So that's, they won't get him. They won't get him easily. Uh, North Melbourne no. will play hardball on Higgins because they understand that he's still playing really good football. Yeah. Um, he's younger than what Ablett was when Ablett returned to Geelong and they had to give up a little bit to get Gaz back. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that, that'll be hard work. Don't don't worry about it. He'll get there, but it'll be it won't be a simple you know first day of the trade period sort of thing. And that that's it. So Gary's obviously you know at his best, and yeah, you saw with that little handball to Selwood. So he still had you know um, little glimpses of, of what he was. But you get Higgins, who is an upgrade compared to what Abbott was producing um, 
you know, especially these last two years probably as a small forward. So you get Higgins who can pinch hit in the middle as well as, as go forward. Um, and they do have a really good set of young guys, Geelong. So um, even if you say goodbye to, to a Taylor and maybe a Henderson. Um, well, they'll keep Henderson. He'll stay. They'll keep Henderson? Yeah, he'll stay. Yep. So, you know, they've got plenty of options to replace these guys, I think. And still be competitive for a while now, which is crazy considering how long they've been at the top to this point. Um, so, you know, the evenness of the competition will make it interesting, see how they fare, but they'll be thereabouts as well. Um, Richmond, do, they, do you think they need anything in particular, Richmond, or is it just front up and try for the three-peat? I don't know if they need anything in particular. There is quite a bit of talk now around a couple of players going outbound and, and similar to how Brandon Ellis was sort of squeezed out last year. He got an offer that was too good to refuse. And it looks like that might be the case with say either a Nathan Broad or a Shane Edwards or a Jack Higgins. There's a bit of talk around um, them. Oleg Markov as well. The Gold Coast are lurking on a couple of those. Carlton's lurking on Higgins. I would probably think that one of those four guys will probably get squeezed out because the offers will be too good to refuse. And they've won their couple of flags at the Tigers now and they can, you know, I guess start afresh and, and explore a new challenge. In terms of what they can bring in, Richmond, well, the, the rumour that, that broke today is that they're, they're interested in Jesse Hogan, which is fascinating because there's not many clubs I that are. I haven't heard that yet. Really? Yeah, so there's not many clubs that are interested in Jesse Hogan because of the baggage that he carries. Obviously, Fremantle are pretty keen to move him on. And, and I think if they get... I think Fremantle will move him on and move him on quite cheaply. I don't think, I don't think they want him at the football club at all. Um, they're prepared to pay a portion of his contract. I don't think they'll ask for much at the trade table. Um, Hogan, he, 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 I don't know what's happened to him. He's 25 years of age and his career is hanging on by a thread. He's got one year left to run. If he doesn't find anywhere near his, you know, somewhere near what he's capable of next season, he'll be, he'll be, he'll be end of the second and third divisions. And, and, and he needs to grasp this third opportunity if he gets it. Richmond would be a, fitting club for him to do it. Um, they see, I think, the potential in maybe him transitioning into that role um, as that centre-half forward, that lead-up player. They can leave Lynch at home and obviously then Jack would um, you know, move on to, to post-footy in, in the next year or two. Um, whether or not it works out, I don't know. I know that Hogan met with Melbourne um, on, a, on a Zoom meeting a couple of days ago and it was pretty clear that that wasn't going to work for the two parties. Um, he's obviously met with, I think, both Sydney clubs um, well, I just don't think many clubs are really interested in Jesse. And yeah. maybe maybe he's just fortunate that the Tigers see some potential in him. Um, it would be quite the story if he was able to go there and, and turn his you know, fortunes around because he did show so much potential when he first came into the competition. But yeah, it would be, would be quite, the, quite the pickup if he was to, to go to the Tigers. That would really put to test, you know, Richmond's sort of development you know, area of their club and, and being able to, to bring in... It, you know, in, in sports, it's like like the Spurs in the NBA. In their, you know, run of 20-plus years, whatever it was, being championship contenders, they just seem to be able to bring, bring in whoever, no matter how troubled they were, what their past was, mm. and it just worked. They just got the absolute best out of these guys, um, and, you know, they usually help them win championships. So I think that's, pro- that's you know... This will make the difference between whether Richmond get to get to be that kind of club, or if it doesn't work, then it's a you know it's a failed attempt. But I do you know we do need a replacement for Jack eventually. Um, you know, kick two goals on the weekend, but 
you know, didn't set the world on fire all year really. Um, so need that, need that next one. And, you know, maybe if they can, if they can fix Hogan or not fix Hogan, but if they can get, you know, the best out of him and um, get him on the right track, then that might be, that might be us. I don't know. I like it, mate. Breaking news. Um, now, mate, the, the night grand final and the grand final entertainment, uh, what did you make of it to start with? Uh, personally, I wouldn't like to see it ever again. I, I, I just don't like the night, the night grand final. It, uh, the, the overwhelming feeling for me was that it felt like uh, the first final of a final series, the first, the opening qualifying final. That's, that's what feeling it had. Um, you knew it was a big game um, and it was exciting and it looked cool at night, but it didn't feel like a grand final one bit. Um, it didn't have the normal build-up. Uh, it, 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 clearly, being away from Melbourne, you didn't have that, you know, the, the MCG feel. Um, the, not having the red share, and I know Trenton Cochin spoke about it after the game, but I've always been a big advocate for the fact that football's better in the day with a red footy. Um, and and I'd be... I, I thought going into this match that it would be the, it'd be the first time that we'd have a, a night grand final and forever we would ha- then have one. But I think post-match there was genuine feeling amongst you know people in in the in the footy community that it may not be the best thing for the game even though the the tv ratings were so high i think there is real consideration or there will be real consideration around returning to the the daytime slot next year um because i think there is something symbolic and special about saturday afternoon football at the mcg so i wouldn't rule it out at all what what did you think i know you, you were um engulfed in the as a, as a supporter of the match but how did you find the build-up to the game so I've always been the same. I love the daytime time slot. I think it, you know a sunny afternoon at the MCG, red footy. You know it's hot. I, I, there's just I think it looks better. You know on just on how it looks, I, I like it better. Um, and that, but that's what the argument was that I was getting with the night grand final was. You know once you see this spectacle, you won't want to go back. But I just don't think it added anything. I don't think the night you know, and the lights, I don't think it added anything really to the grand final. So I, yeah, I've always been a fan of the day grand final, not because, you know, I don't want to see change. I'm all for change, but I think it's better for everything. Kids can watch the game in the afternoon, in the afternoon. Um, people aren't absolutely written off by the time the game starts as a few people were. Um, and then there's, you know, there's time to go out and sort of celebrate afterwards and, you know, you can go have some dinner and, you know, make some plans for after the game. And, you know, I think Richmond over there, they basically celebrated with the fans and went down the rooms and they were back in the hub and they were in bed, basically. It was sort of three, four o'clock in the morning. So yeah. um, I think it pushes, it's pretty late for, for everyone. I know um, my little cousins were, well, one of them was in bed and I had to, you know, had to wake him up for the celebrations and he's, you know, in no man's land because he's been in bed for four or five hours. So... Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah, I think that's um, one of the great changes as well is that kid, some kids do miss out on the, you know, the, the, the finishing moments if they do fall asleep and then you don't get as much time as well to enjoy the celebrations afterwards because of how late it does finish. And John Ralph wrote a piece in the Herald Sun how his avid Tigers supporters had to watch it the next day, the second half, you know, and, yeah. and he had to pretend that um, he didn't know the result. And, you know, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like that. I, I no. think, that, you know, it's, the football is yeah, it's the people's game. Um, it, it's always been the people's game and the grand final has always been something that accommodates for everyone in the middle of the day. Even if you do live in the other side of the country, um, you know, it's still, you know, it's still easy to watch in the middle of the day. If it's, if it's 12 o'clock or 1130 when it starts, you know, 
I don't see any issue with that. I think there's, there's so many more positives than there are negatives to have it during the day. And I hope, you know, I cross my fingers and my toes that it does return to that slot next year. Who, who knows? They, they might trial the 5.30 slot. I probably, I haven't ruled that out. Yeah. They might trial the 5 or 5.30 slot as a twilight operation next year, which who knows? Maybe that. Uh, yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'd be happy enough with a more a twilight setting where when the game starts, it's still in the sunlight and you still get that sort of that vibe and then it finishes, you know, and it's dark and whatever, and that's fine. I think that would be, that would be, I think most people would accept that. I think that would be one that we'd all enjoy, but you know, I can still remember, you know, 05, 06, watching the Sydney West coast grand finals, being a young tacker, just sort of starting to get what foot, you know, and you just starting to get what footy is a little bit, not, not actually following it sort of properly. Um, and you know, and they were great grand finals to watch. They were close. So I'm just imagining if those were at night, there's no way Dad would have let me stay up and it would have been the old, you know, he would have um, taped it and, and given me the tape the next day to watch and pretended he didn't know the result like Ralphie was explaining. So, yeah, I like the day, but I'm, I'm leaning towards a twilight, if anything. But the, the night's too late. Yeah. No, I think there's a real possibility it will return to the day. What about the entertainment? Did you get a, get a look at that? Because I... I didn't take a huge interest in the entertainment. I never really do. I think it's more for when you, if you're there at the ground is, is what you is when you really, you know, enjoy it and take it all in. But did you get a chance to watch it? No, I did. I didn't really. I didn't get a great opportunity to watch it because I was, I was working on uh, at, at RSN obviously because it was it's Cox Plate Day. So I was you know I basically arrived at my uh, venue where I was watching the game. You know, about half an hour before the match and didn't have a great time to sort of. Um, really watched all the pregame and I, I listened to it on the radio and, and that, but because the Cox Plate was on, which is one of the other added components to grand final day, uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't able to to really lap it all in and soak it all in. What did you What did you make of it? So we, we watched we watched bits and pieces. I you know we had family over and, and stuff like that. Um, so it, we got a, got a, got a small glimpse of it. Cub Sport, uh, who sang the Powderfinger cover, they. They didn't seem great on TV in terms of setting the mood for a grand final. I'm not sure what they were like. I always feel like, you know, it, you take it with a grain of salt because there might be a different feeling at the ground. Um, the DMAs are an awesome band, but I don't know how much, how well they fit sort of the AFL setting and, and pumping the crowd up. You know, you, you, compare, you can compare it to a Super Bowl halftime show and, you know, you're getting those sort of strong, powerful acts that, can really set the mood for the second half and get fans up and about and energetic. I think that's sort of what you want from the entertainment. Um, I, so. I, I tend to disagree with the whole Super Bowl comparisons because I feel like the, the grand final, the AFL grand final, is its own event. And it's it, too often we compare it to the Super Bowl and try and emulate what happens there. But I think they're two very different events. They're culturally very different. Um, and the game is so different. Um, and... and the, the actually the, listening to it on the radio, the, the one the one time it actually felt like grand final day to me was when Mike Brady came on. I don't know what it was like for you watching on the TV, but when he came on and and, um, and he was singing on the radio, that was the first time the hairs sort of stood up on the back of the neck, and you thought, "Gee, it is grand final day today," and you know this is one of the biggest days in Australia. You know, not just Australian sport. Grand, AFL grand final day is is probably top three, top four biggest days on the calendar in this country. 
Um, and that was probably the one time it really hit home that it was that it was grand final day. What was that like to watch him at the MCG all by himself? Yeah, it was weird. What you know, by himself in an empty MCG it was it was sad more than anything because you know we haven't been able to go there all year, and then the grand final was not there. And it's usually such a great day and it's such a great week, uh, grand final week at the G. So it was a, it was actually kind of sad watching an empty an empty MCG with Mike Brady in there. It was funny because he was out of sink like the what was playing in the stadium didn't match up with what what was getting shown on the tv so that that was one little ocd thing i noticed but i think it's pretty hard to match up um yeah once that was played you sort of got the sense you know we're into we're into the footy action here um but so wolf mother were really good so all i think footy fans would want is just a bit more upbeat, a bit more up-tempo, energetic stuff to sort of, you know, get fans going in the mood for a game of footy, which I don't think cover sport and DMAs gave, but Wolfmother and Shepard did a really good job of that, I thought. So maybe that's just food for thought for the AFL. Hmm. Now, Hornet, we're going to chat quickly about some trade stuff. Now, leading off, so Brad Crouch and Kilda, is, did you mention that a few weeks ago on the pod? Well, I mentioned it as the player that I think they should be going after. <laughs> I wasn't aware that they were going after him because I don't think at the time we were sure what was going to go on with Brad. But yeah, I think it's a great move for the Saints. If they do land him, I think he's the perfect fit for them. Um, and he'll, he's just the midfielder that they need um, for them to go to the next level. And that's what every club needs to be doing, trying to add players that are going to send them from you know, there to there. And, and for, for the Saints, I think Brad is a wonderful fit. Tommy Morris 2.0, the the Hornet, uh, really jumping on the on the stories nice and early. I love it. Um, Throw enough darts, Nash. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hit eventually, aren't you? <laughs> um, but I do really like the fit for St Kilda and for Brad. I think he's exactly what they need, as we said um, a few weeks ago. Do do you think? Because I, I I heard Geelong was a serious option for Brad, and you know he wanted to sort of he loves the country, but wanted to be in Victoria. Do you think? Um, do you think Jeremy Cameron had anything to do with that? Well, I do, yeah, 100%. I think once Cameron announced that he wanted to go to Geelong, I think they're, all their eggs are in that basket. Um, you know, sal- salary cap space, you know, all of that, I think, it completely ruled out any interest that they had in, in, in Crouch. Uh, you can't really land two A-graders in these days in the AFL in the one period because you just don't have the space in your cap to be able to do it. And I know they'll lose Ablett and they might lose one or two others, but you've still got to bring players in for that. You know, if, if, you, if you send four players out, you've got to have four players come back in. So um, it's, it's impossible to be able to bring in two guys that would have been on in excess of 700 grand a year. Would have been a tough ask. And I think for Geelong as well, I mean, as good as Brad is, they probably don't need a Brad Crouch at the moment. They need someone like a Sean Higgins who can pinch hit in the middle, but can be that sort of forward, forward a half forward flanker to, to replace, replace Ablett as well. So um, yeah, I think Cameron had a big... Uh, saying what Crouch is doing. Now, the Adam Trelaw situation, this is one of the weirder things I've seen in a trade period. This is, I can't believe what I'm reading. So, um, it all started with his wife signing uh, for Super Netball in Queensland. So, all of a sudden, the, you know, the, the stories break. Is he going to the Gold Coast or is he going to go to Brisbane um, with her? Um, and then, all of a sudden, it's now Collingwood don't want him. And, he, the, you know, he's gone and asked, am I required? And they, they've said no. So what have you made of it? Because it's so weird to me. Well, it is fascinating. Pretty obvious that the, the Pies don't want him. I mean, 
he, he had that interview on AFL 360 and said that he's contracted and he wants to stay at Collingwood. But I think prior to that, that, that had conversations with Adam saying that they wanted to explore opportunities with him and, and see if they could bring something in um, the other way. And the funny thing is, he, he, I'm pretty sure he wants to stay in Victoria, even though he's, his wife or partner is, is going up north to play netball. I don't think he necessarily wants to go up there. And that's, that's not a long-term situation thing. So I said that today the Lions have ruled themselves out of getting him. It looks as though the Gold Coast are probably going to rule themselves out, out as well. And he'll likely have to find himself a new home in Victoria, which I think he will, because most of the time when you get, when there's this much smoke around a situation like there is with Trelaw, the player tends to move in the end. Like it's not, mm. it's not often that there's this much noise and nothing eventuates. So I expect him to move on. It's looking like the Bulldogs might be a suitor. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Demons have a word to him, although I don't know how they squeeze him in without getting creative at the trade table. The Bombers seem to be putting themselves at the front of everyone's list when, when someone comes up for grabs, so don't rule them out. He'll find himself a new home, and it looks like it'll probably be in Victoria. And, and the fact that Collingwood are happy to pay some of his salary as well, so that they're that keen to get him out the door and, and find something else, which, I mean... that. I'm not sure what they think with, you know, how he fits in the game plan, but my only knock on Trelaw is his kicking isn't great, which is, that's not a, you know, hidden thing. That's well known in, in the footy world. Um, but I'm unsure as to what their issue is, because apart from that, he's a big, big accumulator of the footy, um, can play inside and outside, you know, can go forward and, and hit the scoreboard um, at times as well. So, I mean, do you see any issues with how he would fit into their game plan in, in the coming years? Well, not really. I mean, I, I always thought when he's played with... I thought I always thought this season when he played with Collingwood that they were a better side. And I certainly would have assumed that that's the case more often than not. And I think any club that he goes to, he make them a better team. But maybe they feel as though that they can go in a different direction and they can maybe bring someone in to replace him in the midfield and... Um, I don't understand really why they want to push him out so badly. I mean, I can understand why you may be happy to explore opportunities, but it seems pretty obvious that they, they'll do, they're doing everything they can to get rid of him, which just, it seems baffling. But, you know, we're, clearly there's, there's conversations that are going on behind closed doors that um, would reveal a bit more. And I have heard there was rumours uh, sort of early in the final series after Collingwood uh, were eliminated that they were also exploring options for Tom Phillips. Um, which I didn't really get either because, you know, it's not often that you get these really consistent senior players that can play a really good role for you, which Phillips does on the wing there. Um, so, yeah, I'm not really sure. I see maybe, maybe, the, maybe the Pies have some, you know, real aims with players that they're trying to, trying to get um, with, these, with these possible trades. But, yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of the whole yeah. deal at Collingwood land, to be honest. Possibly there's someone that Collingwood are after that they haven't, uh, the media haven't been able to put a finger on yet. But yeah, Tom Phillips, as far as I'm aware, the Demons have got some interest there, but they're probably a little bit more interested in Isaac Smith and they're just waiting to see whether or not he would be prepared to put in a trade request with the Hawks, which you know, the longer that sort of goes on, you, you tend to think that that might be likely as well. So um, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see Isaac Smith in a Melbourne jumper next season. That's not a bad little wing duo for, for the Ds. Ed Langdon on one and either a Smith or a Tommy Phillips on the other. That's not too shabby for some outside run. Well, they've already got Langdon on the other wing, so I don't think they'll bring in both. Um, yeah, so Langdon or Langdon yeah. or, a, or a Phillips or a, or a Smith, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think you know, they're being really tactical about that Melbourne and specific with what they want. And clearly they've, wanted, they've needed outside run and they've needed the wingers the past couple of seasons. So if they can, you're right, put, 
put uh, Smith on one wing, who's a left footer as well, Langdon on the other, who's a right footer. Um, I think that's exactly what they are hoping to achieve when they return to the MCG next season. Well, it's going to be interesting. And there's obviously plenty of other trades and, and other stuff, other news going on, but uh, it all seems to be a bit of conjecture at the moment. So we might, we might discuss that in the coming weeks once some, once some trades happen and there's some stuff in concrete. But Matty, it's, uh, it's been great to have you on the last four weeks, mate, to, to chat all things about the finals. Um, and hopefully we can get you on a bit more um, uh, in the future as well, mate, to chat some more, uh, maybe some racing and, and a bit of footy as well. No worries, Nash, man. Congratulations again. You enjoy that premiership. Go, you tiggies. Come on. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. We're from Tigerland. A fighting fury. We're from Tigerland. In any weather, you will see us with a grin. Risking head and skin. If we're behind, then never mind. We'll fight and fight and win. For we're from Tigerland. We never weaken till the final siren's gone. Like the tiger of all.